Bring in more revenue while saving money and differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack vying to win those guests by becoming more environmentally friendly. We will show you how easy it is and how cheap it can be, if not free, and share all the opportunities available. So join us each week as we take another step along the green path. That's one more step to differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack. The Green Path Podcast is kindly sponsored by Sestonica, the first sustainability recognition for vacation rental homes. What if vacation rental professionals could influence millions of travellers to make their own homes more sustainable? Show the world that you have taken steps to make your vacation rental consume less and get your badge on sustonica.com. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Green Path Podcast. Whether you have started on your Green Path journey or are still contemplating it, one of the things you need to do is research where to buy products that will make a difference. For example, that toothbrush you use daily, what's the handle made from? It never occurred to me until I was researching today's guest. Yes, plastic toothbrush handles. And what about the cotton buds or the Q-tips that you use? Yep, more plastic. My guest today has simplified things for you. We're going to learn about the one place, if you're based in the UK, that you can get all you need to make a difference. Today, my guest is Thomas Panton from Canopy. Hello, Thomas, how are you? Hi, Deborah. Yeah, great intro. I'm well, thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you very much for coming along today and joining me. Thomas, I always like to start with your personal journey before Canopy. How did you get going on your sustainability path? Yeah, I mean, look, it was no, I don't think it was meant to be to begin with. I'll start there. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so originally when I was when I was younger, I was actually an international swimmer. um, And I had always thought that was going to be what I do. You know, I was going to swim. I was going to get sponsored. I was going to go to the Olympics. You know, the big dreams, the big ambitions. (laughs) Um, And it was definitely along that path, but then I got injured mm-hmm. uh, and it completely changed like everything that I had envisaged sort of doing as an individual um, and had to quite rapidly work out what I was going to do going forward now that I didn't have this one thing that I'd sort of like hooked onto and and was really good at and, you know, hadn't really thought about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this was during time, you know, I was late teens, so all my friends were going to uni um I had never really thought I was going to go to uni I thought I was just going to swim um but that seemed like the logical choice at the time I had absolutely no idea what else to do so um and then my dad's an architect and I was like well I don't want to go and work for the family <laughs> family architectural practice um and uh, my sister's far more artistic than me I'll let her take that on mm-hmm. um so so yeah so then I I sort of ran my finger down the list and you know ended up on politics and international relations and was like that sounds interesting getting in the you know all of the uh the difficult conversations of what's happening <laughs> around the world <laughs> um and, and went to went to the university of east anglia in norwich um now uea as it's widely known um really prides itself on sort of its drive for international development and sustainability and climate science it's partnered with the tyndall center for climate research and you know it's got all of this fantastic research around that sector coming out of it and when I went into my undergraduate degree, I hadn't really thought about going into that side of things, but mm. that was obviously going to be there. 
And during my time, you know, studying sort of international relations, one of the big things that came out of that was you learn a lot about sort of lobbying groups, NGOs, um, IGOs like the UN as well. And um, the, the one that really caught my attention was, was Greenpeace. So the world's largest independent environmental organization making change since the 1970s, um, well known for their big whaling campaign back in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And, and I was really impassioned by what they do. And it just so happened that, it really reminded me of, I don't know if you ever watched Al Gore's documentary. Oh, um, way back, yeah. Way back when. when and I, I was a kid when that came out. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's sort of one of those things that you see and you're like, oh, that's terrible. And then I'm a kid. So I was like, okay, on with my life. Um, but my parents were very aware of it. So when I went back home and was talking about Greenpeace, they were like, oh, yeah, like we're members of Greenpeace. We, we you know, we're passionate about Greenpeace and what they're doing. And, and one of my friends was working for them. Um, so it was a natural development from there onwards for me to go, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are passionate about this movement. I am beginning to learn more about it right at the start of my sort of higher education and career. I know someone who's working there. Um, and yeah, it instantly sort of turned my focus to how I can get into that industry and how I can make a difference mm. um, right at the beginning uh, of, of that journey back when I was, you know, 18. Wow. That's where it really started. And what were you doing at Greenpeace? So when I first joined, I was uh, a foot soldier, (laughs) uh, a fundraiser. So I actually think it's the most undervalued, but probably hardest job to do um, at at an organization. You're talking to, you know, thousands of people every month. Um, You're getting, you're having to explain why we're doing what we're doing, the campaigns, the science behind those campaigns. You become knowledgeable very quickly about a lot of different topics. So I was working on, you know, campaigns, everything from plastic pollution to banks and the, you know, the financing of fossil fuels, um, you know, all the way to overfishing, to deforestation. And all of these campaigns were stuff that I had to be read up on and and, and learned about. Um, so during my time as a fundraiser that's what I was sort of having to do day in day out and then over my time working there over sort of like half a decade um, I moved my way into their events and outreach team um, ended up sort of helping with the organization and setup of sort of these larger campaigns in wider events wider festivals Mm. Um, and that became yeah, much more embedded in the actual action and sort of the relationship between the organization and real people. Mm. And what were their opinions? What were their barriers to supporting sustainability? Mm. Why were they struggling to change their lifestyles? Or if they had changed their lifestyles, why did they do it? Mm. Um, And all of those questions and really understanding that dynamic sort of relationship not just between Greenpeace and them, but between the wider climate sector mm. and and the individual. Um, the six, I, I, yeah, I was really passionate about that. The $64,000 question is, how did you get people to become more sustainable? I think, look, it's it's not easy, is the, is the question. We live in a society which has been built around convenience. Yeah. And I think that that actually, like, from a human perspective, is is fine like we have developed as a species to make our lives easier from medicine to travel uh from consumerism to food and drink you know whatever it is um it's always about okay how can we make this easier for an individual to do it and whether that is to drive the economy or just to give happier sort of societies um is the big question but i i do think that it's not really a problem in theory Mm -hmm. the difficulty is that what's ended up happening is it's been 
driven without any consideration of the after impacts the yeah. afterthoughts of that um and even with you know and even from the beginning of manufacturing all the way to the end of use like we have not considered what that does to the planet and other species and even ourselves you know like we eat a credit card's worth of plastic uh, and it's found in human blood now um but we would never have thought that when we started the big plastic uh sort of boom in the in the in the 70s and 80s yeah. so i think you know how you get people to change is a really difficult question because generally the climate sector has been like you tell them how bad things are and you tell them why there is this big need to change what happens if we don't change and it works but up to a point mm. because the majority of the population have other things closer to home going on and when you're talking about huge global issues like climate change it becomes incredibly difficult for the individual to relate to that yeah. so actually you know in a sentence i'm actually a big believer in tying uh sustainability with convenience um yeah. and if you can bring those two things together for the individual then you're far more likely to increase adoption rates yeah. uh, and that's everything from Greenpeace and onwards in my career has been focused and studied around how we can do that and how we can make it easier to be greener, basically. Mm. You know, from a, from a marketing point of view, I would say sustainable, um, oh, what did you just say? Sustainable? Consumption, consumerism, I don't know, <laughs> accessibility. Yeah, but, but with a silent sustainable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, convenience sustainable convenience yes convenience. silent sustainable yeah. and i think then people will will jump on board well not jump exactly. on board, but it'll just you know become part of their daily life and exactly i think that. it's that word sustainable that is the obstacle yeah. you know um, well it niches it niches it down so what we find is that there's a stereotype around the words eco-friendly sustainable green mm. um and uh, and, you know, perhaps rightly so, like those, you know, those sorts of movements and have been very much targeted at a specific type of person, probably me included. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is, is that if that is the focus, then it's not for everyone. And yeah. actually what we need is this thing to be for everyone. Yeah. So the only way you can do that is, as you rightly say, is to make sort of sustainable shopping shopping. Mm. or sustainable uh lifestyle just lifestyle um but actually in the background you know that it's having a better impact so so you know this is what not just my current company canopy but also my previous company with festovers was focused on is not making the consumer or the individual feel like they have to do a lot of work to change mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. but actually that these things are happening synonymously with how they live anyway Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you make that change, then you change adoption rates, you change the world, but you don't, you know, people don't know you're doing it. And that, yeah. that, that's, that's the important thing. I, I think it would be uh, the winner of the marketing campaign of the century. If you can get people to adopt this sort of thing with a silent sustainable. Yeah. And, and that would be a marketing coup. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, you touched on festovers before we get talking on canopy. I yeah. like the idea of Festovers. So Festovers came before Canopy. I saw the photo on yeah. your um, on your website and I thought, yeah, I've seen that before. Disgraceful. Yeah. So can you tell us how did Festovers start? So, 
you know, when I was working with Greenpeace, I, as I said, I sort of ended up in their events and festivals and conferences and all sorts of things. So I was well embedded within that industry um, and looking at all of the various sustainable problems that were arising within that sector. And, and one of the big ones, as we all know, is the amount of waste, consumer waste that's left at the end of these particularly summer festivals. Mm. Um, in the UK alone, 250,000 tents end up in landfill or incinerators every single year. Every tent is the equivalent of 8,750 plastic straws. You know, this is a huge issue polluting not just our atmosphere, but the very land that we're enjoying as festival goers. Mm. And Again, the issue with tackling this has been every single campaign in that sector has been targeted at take your tent home as an individual or, you know, be conscious when you're coming to a festival. Make sure that you are aware of what you're bringing and how you're using it. And I think let's be real, right? Like when you're a 17, 16, 17 year old and you're going to your first festival, you're drinking without your parents knowing, you're probably doing some other stuff. <laughs> you don't care about after a five-day weekend of like really heavy partying and in, enjoying yourself are you going to really take down probably quite a large tent at that point mm. and pack it up and carry it and take it in a, in the summer heat like I think that there needs to be a bit of reality check with the industry because we're asking a lot of of the individual now i'm not trying to get rid of the responsibility like i think that we all need to be aware right like we all need to be conscious of what we're doing but i do think like the the reason that i set up festovers was that look you as the individual are inevitably going to leave something um and for a lot of those people it's going to be leaving everything and i think that if we can either stop them from bringing that stuff in the first place or make sure that everything that's left doesn't end up in landfill and the incinerator then you're solving a problem without the individual realizing you're solving it um so again festovers was built out of that well look there's all this waste being left much of it is reusable um so currently just to give some context to the uk sector is that there are charities there are scavengers that come in at the end of festivals and collect leftover waste but where most people think that they are collecting a lot of that waste, actually they're only collecting a between one and 2% mm. of leftover waste. So most of that, you know, 98% up is going into the incinerator still, even if we as consumers think that it's being collected and being used for homelessness or whatever the charity mm -hmm. is. So Festovers was, look, the only way that you can do this is by having capital behind that. And the only way you can do that is by commercializing it. So we were the first, well, I set up the first company in the UK, Festovers, which commercialized the extending of that consumer product life at the end of events by getting festivals to pay you to come in to collect it. And then by using that waste as a commodity afterwards. Mm -hmm. So we cleaned it and then we would sell on material. We'd resell the product if it was in good condition or we'd rent it out. Mm -hmm. And it meant that, you know, when one to 2% was being collected and not ending up in landfill, the festivals that we worked at, it was between 90 and 95% of that waste was not ending up in landfill. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge change and something which we managed to make sustainably economically mm -hmm. uh, quite quickly. Um, the, the challenge is, is that when a global pandemic comes in the events industry <laughs> as an early stage company, it, it can somewhat decimate everything you've built. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's where Festovers came from and, and, and 
the problem we were solving and and look that problem very much still exists yeah um but i think during the pandemic and when the industry was sort of having many many fallow years it was like how can we solve that problem at source and actually a lot of that is well if we buy better products to begin with better impact products products which have better end of life sort of Mm. uh, compostability or whatever it is we're solving that problem before the consumer even leaves it and if they do leave it it doesn't matter as much so it it was a a, a bit of a shift from solving a symptom to solving the, the the problem at source yeah i my brain is just running around like mad thinking right now festovers should actually become rent a tent yeah if, yeah anyone bringing a tent just rent it and leave yeah. it wash it reuse it next year make the money put it towards greenpeace whatever yeah. Yeah. but uh, so, why is anyone buying and bringing a tent when there are so many when they're all left there just absolutely so this is one of the one of the big issues again is that what festivals have done is they've set up pre-pitch models, which is fantastic, but they're really expensive. Mm-hmm. And they're expensive because of the labor or the um, the time it takes to clean them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's reasons behind that, but I do think that it's been built, the model has been built purely commercially, um, which it doesn't need to be. It can still be profitable and be more affordable and be more accessible mm-hmm. and be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, just before the pandemic, we were looking at solutions in which we could, we had a prototype of a tent, which would essentially, we could pre-pitch and it would only cost the individual 15 to 20 pounds extra on their festival ticket. And they wouldn't have to bring a tent. It would all be set up for them. It was a durable tent, which lasted 10 years. And then the material could be reused and we would create an affordable, accessible pre-pitch model where single use tents wouldn't, wouldn't be used at festivals anymore. Mm. But the problem is, is that you've got to try and convince two sides of an industry to change the entire model. So you've got to change festivals. You've got to convince them uh, to actually change their model and allow to make less money, but still make money. Mm-hmm. And you've got to convince individuals that actually renting a tent and, you know, I think there are ways around that. Like if you built it sort of like a cinema, like when you go to the cinema and you book your seats, you can book yeah. with friends. If you did the same thing with tents. It saves yeah. people being away from their friends. Anyway, there's lots of different ways we could do that, but I think the challenge will always be convincing the commercial side of that industry mm. that if they're going to solve the sustainability side of that problem, they have to think profitably, but less like it's got to be less profitable for more impact. Yeah. Uh, and that's always a hard sell uh, to yeah. festivals, which have been running for decades. Right. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, oh. maybe we'll get that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to brainstorm, I'm happy to talk later. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's move on to Canopy. So you were talking about all the waste at Festover and that led you to come up with Canopy? Yeah, I I think it was definitely the origin of that, that sort of moment of, well, if people were buying better to begin with, then one, they'd probably be less likely to leave it because it's a product that they value more. But also, secondly, if they did leave it and it's made out of better materials, then it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be as big an impact anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of then developed it was like looking at okay well what's actually on the market already for those sorts of things and Mm. why isn't that the mainstream you know there are marketplaces that consider themselves to be ethical there are sort of calculators which quantify impact and it was like well why 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 isn't the consumer the wider consumer market interacting with 
with those platforms. Mm. And essentially what it comes down to is we found that there were three main barriers uh, which fed into a confusing user journey. So it was like not enough knowledge of why, where, what to buy, uh, not enough time to go and do that research, find them and you know track the impact and whatever else. Like it was too much of a ball ache to actually do it. Um, and then, and then thirdly was having the capital because, you know, with a sustainable product, there's usually an uptick in price, but, uh, you know, we can come onto this in a bit, but I'd argue that actually you're saving money over a longer period of time by buying a better product to begin with, but mm. that's another, another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that feeds into this really convoluted journey for the individual to shop sustainably. Currently, you've got four different types of platforms. You've got verification platforms for claims. You've got shops which consider themselves ethical, but maybe don't actually verify the claims that brands are making because they're not linked to those those systems. Mm. Thirdly, you've got like learning platforms like blogs and, you know, apps, which you can like learn how to make swaps and stuff. It's quite convoluted, quite a lot of work to understand how to do that. Mm. Uh, And then fourth, you've got like impact calculators uh, as a generic term of how you track your impact and maybe get rewarded for it but pretty unlikely it's more of a way just to make yourself feel good and none of them talk to each other and none of them make it easy to go from one step to the next step so look as someone who's worked in the sector and who actually really cares about this topic I find that too complicated Mm. so when we went out and spoke to real people who weren't you know, eco-warriors or weren't climate scientists or maybe weren't even that climate conscious, but just sort of aware of this issue. It was just unanimous. Like, it's too complicated. It's too hard. I'm finding it too complicated to even try to stop to shop sustainably. Mm. So, like, you've got this huge barrier to entry. And along that journey, you've got multiple barriers. So what we need to do is remove those barriers, streamline the user journey and give back the trust to the consumer that that work has been done for them. So Mm. Canopy sort of developed from this idea of we need to buy better, this sort of very top level statement to let's build one platform which completely streamlines the sustainable shopping journey. Mm. Uh, And that's what Canopy is. It's the only platform that does that. We verify the claims of brands before they sell on the platform. So, you know, whatever you see has evidence behind it. And we've asked for evidence within parameters. So you as a consumer don't have to worry that it hasn't been checked. We provide educational material and educational journeys where if you as a consumer want to learn, you can. But if you want to shop, you can just shop on platform without going off platform but most importantly within all of that on every purchase you can see the carbon emissions the water waste and the plastic waste that you're saving on every purchase compared to the mainstream alternative Mm. And, and this is like super powerful because not only does it give you that positive reinforcement you need as a consumer to know oh i'm making a better choice but also we're building in the ability to get rewarded for those purchases, to share it with your communities, to have mm-hmm. leaderboards on who is buying the most sustainable products. Like mm-hmm. suddenly what you're doing is building a model which everyone is used to in the in the commercial sector, in the consumer sector, but it's a small sustainability in the background because yeah. you're, everything you're doing is a better impact. Yeah. So, so we end up solving that bigger question of like, we need to buy better but by actually looking at what people how people consume mm. and building a platform which which basically accommodates that yes your your platform basically is 
is a sustainable con sustainable convenience marketplace with a silent yeah. sustainable. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, one thing we get a lot is like, so you're like a green Amazon and it's like, that's part of it. But I think what's really, like, really important within that is that you've got the convenience of Amazon, but yeah. you've got the trust of all of the climate sector behind it. Yeah. So you end up as a consumer being able to shop like you would normally. But on top of that, you've got like all of these extra like positive reinforcement points to know yeah. you're making a good choice. Yeah. And then it's easier to convince people to do it as well because yeah. you're making them feel good about themselves. Yeah, this is going to sound a bit strange, but when I when I research my my um, guests, you know, I like to dig deep in their in their website. Yeah, yeah. And every level that I went down through your website, I'm thinking, these guys really are clean. There's not a spot <laughs> of dirt I can question you about. <laughs> every decision, every product, everything is certified. The certificates that you give back, you do everything. It was like at every level that I went through, it was like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, look, I think I think we have to. We're we're moving through. A, a quite an interesting period of sort of consumerism and just sustain like climate sector in general where you know the culture shift is is already changing so you know we've got regulations coming in and laws coming in which are clamping down on like the claims you can make as brands and you have investment growing in sort of like how can we solve this big issue of the climate crisis but also make money off of it and then you've also got like media and society talking about these things every single day and it's like if you're going to try and build a platform which solves one of these problems mm. um you, you need to make sure that you are giving a full experience because if you're just building a platform which just adds to the confusion that's already there yeah. it, it doesn't help the individual and it's only going to help a certain number like a ceiling of businesses so actually what what we wanted to do was we could have released a calculator. We could have released a verification platform. We could have released an ed, ed tech platform. But actually to solve this problem, we need the full experience. We mm. need the complete profile so that as an individual, you, you can do all of those things. And like you say, it means that if you do then want to go and spend the time on the platform and learn and research and, you know, back mm. up everything that we're saying we're doing, like, it's there like we you know we've enabled it so that you we're future proof for that for that yeah. you know example yeah uh, so so yeah i really appreciate you looking into it because th this is exactly why why we've done that yeah well i think the, the bottom line is you have to be transparent if you're saying that you're doing all these things and you're offering all these things you have to be completely transparent so if someone does want to go snooping it's all there yeah and, and you know and, and, and and even further a step than that is you can't now. So it used to be that you had to be transparent and, and sort of be clear about how you do things. Mm. And that was enough. But now with the with the sort of visibility that people are saying things, but not actually doing them, um, you now need with the new regulation coming in, particularly in the UK and the EU, is you're actually going to need to be able to prove that you do those things. So there are other marketplaces and platforms which say that they check for like multiple different types of evidences but when you speak to the vendors who went through those processes mm. they've never been asked they've never been asked to provide evidence for anything mm. they've just told them the claims and the business and the, the platform has put the claims against the brand mm -hmm. so like for us it was like well we you know we could do that and the consumer would know no better but that's not gonna 
like for the new world that's being built, mm. it's never going to cut it. And if you build a business based on that, yeah. you're going to have to change a heck of a lot in yeah. the future. Yeah. So to go back on and backtrack and ask for all of that stuff, like, hell, we'll just do it to begin with. <laughs> Makes yeah. our lives easier. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it means that you as a consumer can trust it's been done. We know that we're safe from regulation, but also we provide so much trust uh, just across the sector. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, when I was looking through some of the products, I was looking and thinking, oh, uh, what, what products can a, a property manager or an owner look at? Yeah. And I was actually a little bit gobsmacked because I just sort of took for granted, like in the introduction, the toothbrush. I never, yeah. it never occurred to me that I'm holding a piece of plastic twice a day. I was yeah. like, oh, I could be doing something about this. And the cotton buds. It's like, oh my God, yeah, of course. They end up, you know, in the landfill or in the sea. Yeah. Oh, I was a bit mortified that it had never occurred to me. I think there's so much part of our lives that we don't actually realize that, uh oh, yeah. this is bad. I think I think this is exactly it, is that you, sh you shouldn't have to be an expert on these things to be yeah. able to make those changes. And it's one of the reasons that within this platform of verification, shopping and impact data, there's also a huge amount of education with like backing it, this all up. So mm -hmm. one of the features that we built in was this shop by space uh, yeah. feature where you essentially are shopping by a room in your in your house but it's interactive so you can see products which you might not have considered like a you know a shampoo bottle it's mm -hmm. like you wouldn't you won't really consider it but actually when you start to look at the impact that a shampoo bottle has compared to a shampoo bar or a refillable bottle it's like oh actually that's a super easy swap to make and it's going to save all this impact and it's going to cost me like the same and it's just like instantly those sorts of reminders mm. uh, begin to sort of make the change that you probably would make anyway right like mm. if you were aware of all these products that were having an impact and you knew that there was an alternative that was better and similar price like who wouldn't make that choice mm. the, diff the difficulty as you say is that a lot of people just don't know so yeah. we wanted to build in not just the ability to make take action but actually to give people the education as well in a super like non-judgmental way because like we get it you shouldn't have to know all these things to begin with and we're not going to assume that you do or that you should mm -hmm. so you want to come onto the platform and know nothing about sustainable shopping i'm all for it come on have a look read through and hopefully you'll find something which makes sense to to swap out in your lifestyle yeah yeah and and even things like tissues and kitchen yeah. paper uh, paper towel for the kitchen yeah. and toilet paper I was like oh my god yes coffee cups <laughs> So with these products, uh, how do you vet them? What do you yeah. ask or, you know, what hoops do they have to jump through? Yeah, so there's like a three-step process, essentially. We look at business, product, and like product materials. So with the business side of things, we ask for them to relay their claims to us mm -hmm. and provide evidence for those claims. So we have like our own tech, which essentially allows that to be quite a smooth process where mm -hmm. they will... I don't know, make a claim like they're a living wage employer or that they have fair working policies. Um, there are some compulsory ones within that, um, which obviously set a threshold uh, for being a business which we'd want on the platform. But along all of that, you have to upload evidence within a certain set of parameters, which we've said are evidences we accept. Mm -hmm. There are some cases where it might be like, oh, but we have got this certification and it does show this and then we'll review it on a manual basis. But generally, it's done within those parameters that we have 
um, that we've set initially. Mm. The same thing for products. So if you've got a t-shirt, which you're claiming is made out of organic cotton, it's vegan, it's cruelty-free, whatever, whatever. Um, great, good for you. But I want to see the evidence to back that up. Mm -hmm. So either you've had audits done or you've got a certification claiming that and they've done the audit on you. Um, but it has to be more than just a statement of fact. Um, you know, we get some businesses which will be, you know, to whom it may concern. This is a statement of fact to say that this is a blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, I it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I need to be able to prove it. Mm. So we are, again, within the parameters of evidence that we've accepted, they'll upload those evidences and it will be verified. And then it will show or not show if they haven't verified it on the platform. Mm. And then the third part of that is you could have all of the accreditations and certifications in the world, but if you're still making a product which is worse for the environment than the mainstream alternative that's currently out there, then I don't really care that much because it's not going to have a better impact product so a good example of this is we've had a clothing brand um who are vegan clothing brands they give to charity on every purchase it's really great um but the product itself is almost an exact replica of a primark socks uh or a primark t-shirt uh, mm -hmm. and it's like i get that you're giving to charity within this and you well and, and you're claiming that it's vegan um but the actual impact of the product is one and the same to the mainstream fast fashion out on the out on the street you know so what within the materials what we're looking for are better impact products so we have built a calculator within that which is completely sort of automated and uses um, its own machine learning within that to quantify not only the products from the vendor of the impact of the carbon emissions the water waste and the plastic waste that that is emitting in its life cycle but also against a mainstream alternative of one of the best-selling brands that we've chosen mm -hmm. and what we can see is well is it actually better because if it is better great like you don't need to have all the accreditations because it is a better impact product but is it not better and then you know we don't want it on the platform so you know these are the sorts of things we're looking at when we vet a company but also, you know, that leads then into the user journey as well, because if we've got that data on the product, it means that you as a user can aggregate that data. Mm -hmm. And then as you make purchases, you can see all the positive impacts you're having. You know, we beta launched two weeks ago and we've already saved consumers over 150 kilograms of carbon emissions, over 100 kilograms of plastic waste, over 10,000 liters of water waste. And that's because we're quantifying the impact of these products. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's really important for the vetting. And mm. the verification part. Did I see that a, a, a customer can then keep tabs on on, on uh, their cumulative uh, impact as well? How does that how does that work? Once you open an account, and it just accumulates. Yeah. So if you create an account on the platform and then you make purchases, every purchase purchase which has the impact data associated to it will then aggregate into your account. So you could buy ten products and they all save I don't know ten kilograms of carbon emissions. And you'll then see that you've saved 100 kilograms of carbon emissions throughout your account. What we're now building into that is the ability to share that and talk and shout about how good you're being as a consumer, mm -hmm. um, but also the ability for us to set certain milestones for rewarding people as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it encourages the consumer to keep coming back and aggregating that in one place rather than going to multiple different places. Yeah. Um, but also allows us to sort of, um, you know, show the impact that we're having as a community, because yeah. not only for the individual 
individual is that aggregating, but also for the entire Canopy platform, yeah. we're seeing, even if you don't have an account, we're still aggregating that that impact. So it's, you know, it's all completely anonymous. Like we wouldn't know that it's you like on the community impact, but mm. it does mean we can show that the community is saving, you know, however many thousands of yeah. liters of water or whatever it is. Fantastic. So it's a loyalty program for Canopy and the planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a loyalty program for Canopy and the trees Canopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. So the name Canopy, Yeah. So did that come from trees? Where did the name come from? No. So originally we branded as Greener, like just the name Greener. Mm. And there were a few reasons why that never really completely sat well with us. One is that like it's pretty on the nose about being a sort of sustainable brand, which is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about sort of opening that up to a wider audience. And then the second part of that is, you know, if we are going to try and sort of provide a brand which talks, not just talks to more people, but has an impact with a small S, right, is you don't want to then be shouting all the time about sustainability you want to be talking about other things within that and that's quite hard to do when your brand just shouts sustainability with, yeah. with a large s so there were other reasons behind that as well like you know just general commercial reasons like if we wanted to expand around the world like what sort of trademarks could we get what sort of uh, domain names could we get all of these like quite boring questions but really the sole reason for changing to canopy was that a canopy is the umbrella which everyone goes under. Um, everyone is welcome under that canopy. You don't have to be an eco-warrior to be involved in what we're doing. It still talks to nature with the name, but it's not inherently about being green. Mm. So, you know, canopies are also tent canopies, right? That's where we started in a field, cleaning up tent waste and, and mm. consumer product waste. There's, co there's callbacks to the brand. But I think for the consumer, the main thing is, is that, look, you're looking at a brand name which just doesn't assume anything of you. It's a brand name which is quite fun. It's easy to say. It's a dot-com domain. And you can do all of these great things with absolute convenience um, with a small sustainability, with a small S sustainability. And, and I think that that is why we wanted to rebrand and why Canopy sort of encompassed that wider mission um of sort of trying to speak to the wider consumer market than just the eco warrior niche yeah. um i i still love that niche don't get me wrong yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm part of that niche <laughs> uh, but it but it's just about how can we have the biggest impact yeah um, so the brand needs to encompass that as well yeah it's, it's always funny uh, every time i hear eco warrior i just visualize xena xena <laughs> i don't even know what her whole title was i never watched the show but i know she was that's a hilarious. <laughs> that's that's hilarious i think a really weird side story but i think that on my mum's 21st birthday party when oh, no. this is where she met my dad um she was dressed up as uh as xena and he was dressed <laughs> up as like hercules or something it's <laughs> some weird you know weird party back in the like 80s <laughs> and bred an eco warrior okay yeah yeah i know look at that <laughs> probably proud of that i bet <laughs> okay so back back to um when you assess a company yeah. to to sell a product let's like take a take a step back and let's look at the bigger picture as yeah. in your company now there are numerous ways that like i was saying your clean record yep. so you are carbon positive which again that sounds actually bad 
but it's good. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's always funny because carbon negative and carbon positive mean exactly the same thing. <laughs> it's like, and they're the complete opposite words. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, look, you know, we, you know, just touching on that point, I think every, I, I get really quite frustrated when companies, unless you're like a carbon removal company, mm-hmm. when they say that they have no impact, because it's just, it's, it's impossible. Like you're going to, you're, you're a living, breathing human who is doing things when you're working. So therefore you're having an impact. Um, so what we do is we quantify what impact we're having as a company. We minim, you know, we're, we've minimized that wherever we can right now, and we'll continue to review that and minimize again. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with anything else, we're using, you know, verified carbon offsets to make sure that if we are emitting, uh, which mm-hmm. inevitably we will be, mm-hmm. then we want to make sure that we're drawing down more than we're emitting yeah. so that we're not just balancing that out, but we're having an even more positive impact as a company as well. Yeah. And what about the 1%? 1% for the planet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love them. I've always known about them. I think that committing a portion of your revenue, uh, and it's revenue, it's not profits. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of a commitment as a company to give back to this wider conversation of positive impact. And I think that it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, They're an organization which does their work. You can see the projects you're supporting, you can choose them. Um, And I think that they, you know, they're having a fantastic impact and we knew we wanted it to be part of the model and we've budgeted that into our revenue model and and what we do. Uh, And that also ties into sort of like tree planting as well, Mm -hmm. because we don't use trees as carbon emissions offsets Mm -hmm. like we they're completely separate for us because one it's too unreliable you don't know what's going to happen to that tree in the future um two um you shouldn't use you know it's too hard to generalize the emission savings when you plant a tree compared Mm -hmm. to um to, to actual carbon removal so yeah for our tree planting look we've destroyed over you know three trillion trees over the life cycle um, of human industrialization Uh, we still destroy billions every year Um, I think we have a moral obligation as a business which wants to have a better impact to regenerate what we've destroyed Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be realistic for us to say we'll be able to regenerate yeah everything as a society like there's too much urbanization there's too much industrialization there's economies like which run off timber and all of these different things but there are ways of making that regenerative which i think are important mm. and for us alongside one percent for the planet alongside our carbon offsets we wanted to make sure we were planting uh and having a commitment to planting uh, a, a number of trees over our life cycle so we're, we're you know we took the million tree pledge um to plant a million trees before 2030 um instantly as soon as we raised our first round of investment we planted 10,000 of them um and we'll continue to be implementing that into our roadmap as well Mm-mm-mm. so it's not just the, it's, it's alongside the ocean too so the yeah network yeah so you know look I come from working with Greenpeace and I am a surfer and I um have been a member of and and supported and worked done some work for uh surfers against sewage um, as an organization in the UK for for probably over a decade now mm-hmm. and I just really love their mission as a charity um, they're a group of people who live and love the ocean they don't have to be surfers even though it's in the name um, who are just fed up with pollution going into our oceans Mm. um a truckload of plastic enters the ocean every minute 
um, almost every single seabird in the world will have microplastics within its bio in its um, biology now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are things which we fundamentally need to change. And that's not even touching on the fact that water companies just discharge sewage into our lakes, waters, oceans um, daily. So I, yeah, I always knew that we were going to find a way to support that organization because look, I, I love them as an organization, but also they're doing fantastic work. Um, so when the business was set up, I, yeah, they have a thing called the Ocean Network. Originally, it was called the 250 Club. Mm -hmm. So there were like 250 companies um, and it's just grown from there. So being part of that means we're not only collaborating and working with other businesses which care about this stuff, but also we are giving back to an organization which is making actual direct change to mm -hmm. government and beyond um, mm -hmm. to, to change real policy going yeah. forward so yeah, an yeah another thing which we can do for a social and environmental cause yeah and then let, let's zoom right in and on a previous episode we talked about um the the emissions and, and the problem with tech yeah. so you even your your tech your servers are green yeah so look you know i think that there's two conversations that come up when you talk about tech there's sort of carbon intensity mm. and then the actual what the servers are running off of and carbon mm -hmm. emissions that come out of that mm -hmm. now i'm a big believer that if you eventually move towards a hundred percent renewable society then intensity becomes almost a moot point because you're in intensifying what on renewables so mm -hmm. it, it becomes less less worrying however we're not there yet as a society so it's important at this point in time for us the easiest way for us to do that was to host our servers on renewable on renewables and yeah. there are great organizations which are already doing that google yeah. are uh, amazingly already trying to, uh, changing their entire ecosystem to mm -hmm. that um obviously part of our platform is built on shopify which uses google servers as well so that's really helpful we have an entire google ecosystem for our workspace and for our uh, impact calculator apis and various other things so it was a conscious choice and interestingly it's something we've had to push back on a lot because we've worked with development agencies or we've worked with certain developers where they've been like ah, oh, yeah but it's like better if we just use like aws or oh but i don't have use azure or whatever and it's like i get your argument for like the tech side of these things but mm. you're talking about like three quite equal platforms here between aws google google cloud platform and and mm. azure and it's like mm. i think if we can make a choice of like what we want to be doing as a company we should always be considering that as part of the decision mm. um plus it would be kind of ironic if we hosted on amazon and we were <laughs> challenging amazon <laughs> yeah. um so so there are other reasons behind that but yeah, yeah um at the end of the day look if we can do anything to to improve the impact mm. uh, of any operation but particularly as a tech company the tech mm. we're using uh mm. then then we absolutely will find the way to do that yeah yeah i would just like to add something as well yeah. i think like look we're going to grow as a company as well and that will bring its own challenges within that and i think that the biggest thing that any company can do in this space is to be transparent about it and look we've got to weigh up the impact that we have from the actual service we provide to individuals and businesses compared to how we operationally run and obviously at all points we'll be considering the best impact we can have as a company mm. operationally but if we find that actually oh suddenly we need to change something so that we can accommodate another 10 million people in the future i don't know some random number mm. we've got to consider we've got to weigh up the impacts because 
you can't take a sweeping statement on any company in any sector and say you all should do this because it's going to be quite nuanced to the work that you're doing and it's one of the faults of the climate sector is that we assume everyone can do the same thing and that shouldn't be the case so i'm really transparent about the fact that we intend to grow and we intend therefore that's going to have more impact but mm. i also intend at every decision within that mm. that we are considering the impact it has and how we can reduce it um, yeah. so i just wanted to add that in because it is really important from a tech perspective but also just a general business sustainability yeah. perspective. no 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 i completely get that yep absolutely and i know that your values are positive bold and informal yeah and look you know i think there's a few things in this like the climate movement is generally quite negative mm. we're talking about quite a scary and real thing um we shouldn't underestimate the the state that we're in uh, as a species and a, as a as a society and a lot of the time it is worse than we think um so that's the doom and gloom side mm -hmm. but we hear about that all the time and i think that the only way you're going to convince millions if not billions of people to change behavior without thinking they're changing behavior of course is to talk about positive things and talk about hope and talk about the great thing that you've just done as an individual and that we're doing as a community and and again being transparent about what that means and the impact it has and so i think we need to be positive not just as a company but as a movement mm. um it's very easy to get caught up on the negatives of the climate crisis and it's important that we are when when it's important to be you know because there are certain movements which need to be talking about that greenpeace is a great example they should be talking about the impact that hsbc or barclays or or the government are having with their investments in whatever and they should be making that very clear in front and center of their message but when you're a business offering something to a consumer you don't want to be telling them how shit everything is you <laughs> want to be telling them you know actually you, you you can be you you can help and you can be a part of that and it's cool and it doesn't have to be a huge thing like small yeah. actions make big changes yeah. so it's all about that the, the second one is bold look too many companies in our sector are willing to just sort of like sit back and ride the wave of like eco and like i just like I'm not interested in it. Like I want to be calling out the big boy polluters. I want to be talk, talking to the big retailers. I want to be making sure that people are aware that there is a company here which is standing up for the values that we need to be following as a society. And can people do that as a company and as founders? Mm. So like we're not afraid to stick our head above the parapet and get the inevitable pushback from big companies, but with the always the mission of just making it easier for individuals to be sustainable um and i think that not enough companies are doing that mm. and we shouldn't be afraid as founders to pick a side sometimes um it doesn't have to be judgmental to mm. the individual it doesn't have to be uh, aggressive it doesn't have to be um negative um it can all be you know positive it can be welcoming uh, it can be and leading into the third one, informative, um, and it needs to be those things. But look, you know, have some balls and stand up and just like you know, call out the bad stuff that's happening and and yeah. provide a better option because yeah. we need to. Um, yeah. And then yeah, I think you know, it's interesting talking about these values because I think that a lot of companies have like corporate values, and it's often just a load of, you know, whatever. And mm. I think that 
for us, like these aren't just like statements on a page. These are things which are embedded within the culture of the company. Yeah. I remember reading a long time ago Nike's sort of like list of ten sort of ten commandments, as it as it were, in in the company, and it is embedded within everything they did as a, as a startup all the way up to working, you know, with with Jordan and and all the rest. And and I think that for us these things are not just statements we're making to sound like we're the right company mm. these are things which like they might they they don't even need to be on the platform they're just part of us what we do we breathe it um yeah. and, we'll, and we'll continue to push them uh, but part of that and it, and it and it it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine actually is is be informative and be the informed voice because sustainability isn't something which anyone can just come into and go I know everything about sustainability because mm. like even those of us who have been in this sector for our whole careers have studied it, have worked along the best climate scientists in the world. Like we know very little about mm. this sector still. Mm. So I think that have some humility. And if you are going to come into the sector, make sure you are informed in what you're doing, because we're seeing too many companies start, which don't know enough and claim to be making a better impact but actually aren't having a better impact. And that not only misleads the consumer, but it does nothing for the movement. And mm. it's all done with good intention. You know, like these people want to help and mm. I want them to get involved in the sector. Mm. But there is a difference between doing that blindly mm. and commercially and um, thinking you're helping mm. to being informed and the expert in the room and knowing what you're driving and why you're driving that way mm. um so for canopy it was important that we weren't just positive and bold and fun and but actually like we know our we know what we're talking about mm. um and that's not just coming from us as founders that's talking to people who are working in our sector and getting advice and listening to feedback and improving and consistently being yeah. transparent about that yeah so on informed is almost like the umbrella for everything we do um we're bold we're positive we're fun blah 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 but behind all of that it's always backed up yeah um yeah. you can you'll never see something which we haven't checked before we say it basically yeah yeah amazing amazing <laughs> we have to start <laughs> wrapping up now but is was there anything else about canopy that we should know about that we haven't touched on yet i think look we're we're beta live, we're making improvements. We want people to come and rip us apart and give us feedback and tell us yeah. what they hate. Yeah. Like this is super important stage for us because, you know, we get all the positive comments, right? From our families and our friends and our like community that we're building. But like, I want people who are gonna like find the problems. Um, so it's a weird thing to ask, but like mm. if you're in the UK and you are looking to like rip something to shreds, like come and do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think like the other thing is that for too long, this journey has been too complicated for the consumer and be wary of the platforms which are telling you that they do everything correctly because mm. many, many of them aren't. Mm. And all I'd say is like, look, we have put the work in to give you a, a full like experience uh, mm. and I don't want I, I don't want people to underestimate the importance of that mm. so you know come to the canopy join us and 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 help us provide an alternative for mm. everyone to be able to buy better uh consciously or unconsciously yeah um, and, and, you know yeah. that's important yeah and I think that it, with, with this podcast it was you know it's, it's to help property managers and property owners but actually 
as individuals, we could be starting with ourselves. So I'm thinking, what's it like uh, brushing your teeth with a bamboo toothbrush? That's like this whole new look, this whole new get your head around. Okay, so toothbrush handles don't have to be plastic. It's just what we used to. So, uh, I also think, you know, from a from a property and residential and like that side of the industry, it's mm. like, look, you're living and you're talking about where people are creating their habitat. Mm. And I think that look, this is where we engage and live as humans every single day. And even if we're on holiday, like that's where we're feeling at home and mm. we're engaging with the, the products and the 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 way the room is built and all of these things subconsciously that's happening in every single part of the journey mm. within the residential hospitality property in retail industry like it, it is embedded within us as as humans to have communal areas and whether that's with your family or or, or wider group mm. so what i would just say to that part of the journey and sector is like talk to us partner with organizations like us make the experience for the people you're trying to serve subconsciously better because mm. that's going to create more of a shift than you realize if they're just living and like involved in that part like and they're seeing these things in their periphery it makes all the difference mm. so um, we'd love to sort of engage with that side of the community more so yeah please mm. do reach out you know it's very interesting again my mind's racing so <laughs> I, I didn't see how much a toothbrush costs on your website but I wonder if if you're going to have a sustainable property to actually allocate a toothbrush per guest. And you never know because if they like something, if they know, actually, so having a toothbrush per guest and showing the guest mm. what they have saved, like the impact mm. they have saved, yep. and then they can always buy that toothbrush from your website. They can continue it on. But in implementing some of your products within the property and show, showing the guest what effect having this uh, pr a product in your property is doing, is having, then yep. could be a great knock-on effect. It's great. Also, it just makes you look like, you know, from a sort of self-indulgent perspective, like it makes you look great because you've considered it and you yeah. have considered the fact that we want to give an experience which leaves less of an impact on the planet yeah, yeah. um and it doesn't have to be the, the you know <laughs> the soul of the company it doesn't have to be the yeah. root message in everything you do yeah. but it can just be things that are just considered here and there yeah. um yeah. And, it, and it's important yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing i would say about that as well is that you know our, ours is consumer facing whereas all of our brands sell wholesale as mm -hmm. well right so mm -hmm. if there is the conversation of we want to provide X amount of toothbrushes to our properties uh, yeah. for a wholesale price. Like yeah. speak to us because we can we can connect that conversation up with the brands that you're interested in. So fantastic. Yeah. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay. We have to start wrapping up. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'll put the link for Canopy in the description below. And if you have any questions for Thomas, please pop them in the comments below and he'll get back to you. Thomas, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Deborah. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Are you ready to start on your own green path journey? Why not take a look at the Green Step program? This has been tailor-made to take you step-by-step step down the green path. You only see one step at a time, and that's all you focus on. Before you know it, you've gone down the path. 
To learn more, just head to thegreenpathpodcast.com.